Welcome to the Seriously Funny Music Podcast, the show where we talk about funny music and explore why it can often go underappreciated. In each episode, we'll focus on one artist and one academic concept to illustrate this point. This episode is about Weird Al Yankovic and parody. It would be inconceivable to release a series about comedic music and not talk about Weird Al Yankovic. For most people, his name is synonymous with the genre. He is the king of musical parody and has been active since the late 1970s, following the course of popular music throughout the years and giving his unique take on it. However, it's worth noting that parody is not the only comedic technique Al uses in his music. More on that later. We should also acknowledge that there are many other great artists who have utilized parody to make less traditionally funny music. For example, the Beatles back in the USSR parodically engages with musical elements from the Beach Boys and Chuck Berry. But let's take a step back first and establish a definition of parody. From Webster's Dictionary, Parody is a literary or musical work in which the style of an author or work is closely imitated for comic effect or ridicule. They also include a second definition that is a feeble or ridiculous imitation. Generally, I prefer the first definition as it describes the formal structure of parody without aspersing it. However, as we'll see, there are many who are unable to keep a neutral view of parody and associate it too closely with the latter definition. As just mentioned, parody is not limited to music and has long been a part of the literary and visual art tradition as well. Some non-musical examples of parody can be found in the novels of Jane Austen, like Northanger Abbey or Andy Warhol's pop art from the 1960s, especially his work 30 or Better Than One, where he repeatedly silkscreened the Mona Lisa. Aside from these, another rich medium for parody is film, like the 1980 movie Airplane, directed by Jerry and David Zucker and Jim Abraham. Ever been in a cockpit before? No, sir, I've never been up in a plane before. You ever seen a grown man naked? Do you want me to check the weather, Clarence? No, why don't you take care of it? Joey, you ever hang around the gymnasium? We'd better get back now, Joey. No, Joey can stay here for a while if you'd like. Could I? Okay, if you don't get in the way. Flight 209er to Denver Radio. Airplane is a parody of the disaster film genre, most specifically the film Zero Hour, and has far outlasted most of the movies that it mocked, which have since fallen into obscurity. Similarly, many of Yankovic's parody songs have had a longer shelf life than their source inspiration. So how does he do it? Regarding Weird Al's artistry, the music journalist Ian Ellis wrote that, his parodic technique was to leave the music intact, but to change the lyrics, making them comically incongruous to the original. The result was a form of superiority humor, whereby the earnest seriousness of a song was implicitly mocked when replaced with the absurd alternative. With his keen eye for the topical and the typical of his society, Yankovic's parodies has served as watchdogs for the rock culture, subverting pretensions and undermining narcissists. Ellis is primarily speaking of Weird Al's direct parodies. These are one-to-one -one takes on popular songs like Perform This Way, his version of Lady Gaga's Born This Way. But also, Al frequently makes style parodies, which are more general in their references, often meant to mimic the oeuvre of an artist instead of a specific song. For example, Why Does This Always Happen to Me, a driving piano tune in the style of Ben Folds. Yankovic's parodies are so frequently successful because of his imaginative wit and clever wordplay. Ellis calls Yankovic's mode of working superiority humor, but he also significantly uses the term incongruous. The incongruity theory of humor states that things are funny because of a juxtaposition. This occurs when an object or event doesn't match up with our expectations. 
When Weird Al transformed All About the Benjamins into All About the Pentiums, he subverted the overly braggadocious, cool characterizations present in hip-hop by presenting his character as a massive computer nerd and not a wealthy baller or shot-caller. The philosopher John Muriel tells a story in one of his books that upon returning to his office one day, he opened the refrigerator to find a bowling ball. He certainly did not expect to find this there, and he laughed. It's essential to note that this is funny only because of a lack of perceived danger. Had he opened his fridge and found a poisonous snake, while it would still likely be unexpected, the threat of being bitten would override any humorous reaction. Literary theorist Linda Hutchian in her book Theory of Parody explains that parody's range of intent is from respectful admiration to biting ridicule. Al's humor is relatively benign. It's a bowling ball in your frigidaire and not a snake bite in your derriere. While Al mostly refrains from making his songs mean-spirited taunts of the original artist, that is certainly another possible mode for parody, one that Frank Zappa is often accused of utilizing. While these two men might represent two extremes of that spectrum, it's also true that both of their works of humor are open to interpretation and possible misinterpretation. Here's a clip from Zappa's song, How Could I Be Such a Fool, from his album Reuben and the Jets, which is discussed in depth in the episode on Zappa and lowbrow humor. As an example of the ways Yankovic has been misinterpreted, let's look at his song Canadian Idiot, a direct parody of Green Day's American Idiot. While the title implies that it is Canadians who will be the butt of the song's punchline, it is actually mocking ignorant Americans. It doesn't take a particularly keen ear to draw out the actual meaning of this song, but according to Weird Al Seriously author Lily Hirsch, this song led to a number of comments from angered Canadians who very clearly missed the point. These types of misinterpretations are not unique to parody. To examine a non-parodic instance, consider Randy Newman's 1977 hit Short People, which featured lyrics like, short people got no reason to live, and I don't want no short people around. Most sensible listeners wouldn't come away from hearing this song thinking that Newman seriously hates these vertically challenged individuals. At worst, it's a mostly benign but entertainingly silly song. However, if you were to simply change the word short to any other minority group, such as black, Asian, Jewish, etc., this song becomes an apparent attack on bigotry. Of course, like Canadian Idiot, short people was the subject of some derision among confused listeners in its own time. It was banned from a number of radio stations and officially denounced by the organization The Little People of America. This just goes to show that no matter how obvious you believe the underlying message of your song is, it will possibly be misinterpreted by some, sometimes willfully so. 
Lily Hirsch wrote on another example like this from Weird Al, his song Party in the CIA. It features lines about brainwashing, taking bribes, and assassinating world leaders. It's obviously not meant to be complimentary, but is apparently popular with employees in the titular agency. This indeterminacy of meaning, or the possibility of multiple potential readings, is known as polysemy. It's something that's native to much comedy, and is an incredibly rich source of artistry, but it can also be a reason why some humorous art is aesthetically disregarded. It's much easier to give affirmation to art that is explicitly morally positive. This is the same reason why dramatic social problem films are more likely to win an Academy Award than their comedic counterparts. Humorous art and parody in particular thrive in an ethical gray area. Check out the episode on Childish Gambino for a further inquiry into ethical aestheticism. One of the main reasons that parody as a technique in art has been criticized is that it threatens the romantic notion of the individual artistic genius. We've been conditioned to believe that art is a rare and special commodity, and since parody is derivative by definition, logically this could lead you to think that parody is perhaps not art at all, or at the very least, not good art. Also, parody and plagiarism are often very close to one another, and the only thing that separates them is the reader's decoding of where the two texts diverge. This can be a lot of responsibility for an individual, who may be more likely to endorse something less indeterminate for fear of embarrassing themselves. As a culture, we praise artists for being one-of-a-kind, unique individuals, but often without fully acknowledging that their work, like everyone's, is derivative. The old maxim states that good artists borrow and great artists steal. In a literal sense, think of Marcel Duchamp's LHOOQ, in which he parodically drew a mustache on the Mona Lisa. But also, more generally, all artists are amalgamations of all of their influences in varying degrees. To see any one creator or work of art in total isolation from their cultural context and history is unproductive and unreasonable. Related to this, comedic art is often at odds with the fragile notion of authenticity. Authenticity is the quality of art seeming to be a natural and truthful expression of the artist's inner self, despite the fact that, as the consumer, it's impossible for us to really know what the artist thinks or feels, there is a preference for the perception of this quality. In short, it's basically impossible for a parody artist to be seen as traditionally authentic. Check out the episode on Tenacious D in Authenticity for more on this topic. Weird Al is constantly dressing up as someone else, and importantly, not as characters or personas in the way that David Bowie did with Ziggy Stardust or Beyonce's Sasha Fierce. Yankovic is playing real people, and on top of that, he's making jokes, which are, according to some philosophers, at best a lesser art, and at worst, downright mean and unethical. The superiority theory of humor, and many aesthetic theories, simply cannot coexist. A culture that too heavily prizes the concepts of authenticity and individuality perhaps also implies that parody is less worthy because it is easier. This is of course not true, at least it's not easy to make good parodies. And the very fact that a song is a parody puts it at a disadvantage in some ways, because it is immediately and easily assessed in regards to an original. There is a direct comparison possible, especially with direct parodies. An original work of art can only be compared tangentially to other works. Interestingly, it is possible to make a song parody that works whether the listener knows the source material or not. 
I'm sure many of Yankovic's fans have heard his versions before ever having an inkling of what the original even sounds like. They may make that connection later on and have a deeper appreciation for Al's version, but the point is that it was not essential to know the original first to enjoy the parody version. Similarly, my generation grew up watching the golden age of The Simpsons, with its near-constant visual and verbal references to classic Hollywood films and musicals. It was years before I actually watched Citizen Kane or The Music Man and fully appreciated the source of these jokes. It's also not unfair to say that these parody versions may actually surpass the originals in quality, much like Airplane did. There are several Weird Al songs that have arguably outlasted the artistic shelf life of their inspiration. White and Nerdy is one example, in my opinion. Happy Days is my favorite theme song. I can sure kick your butt in a game of ping pong. I'll ace any trivia quiz you bring on. I'm fluent in JavaScript as well as Klingon. R.I.C. You see me roll on my Segway. I know in my heart they think I'm white and nerdy. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. Can't you see I'm white and nerdy? Look at me, I'm white and nerdy. I like to roll with the gangsters. If you've made it this far, you might be saying to yourself, why are you spending so much time defending Weird Al? He's already one of the most popular and successful artists of all time. While this is entirely true, I still believe despite that, he is not given enough credit from an aesthetic standpoint. This can be a difficult argument to sustain because of the subjective nature of taste, but one direction to look at is institutional recognition, like award shows or other honors. Pop culture journalist and author of several Weird Al books, Nathan Rabin eloquently opined about the almost non-existent possibility of Yankovic ever being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, writing, The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame insists that rock isn't just fun, catchy tunes that help rubes and suckers forget momentarily about their miserable lives, but rather art that must be respected and put behind glass and recognized for posterity in a museum. The music of Weird Al doesn't just say otherwise, it screams otherwise. He goes on to note how Al's entire artistic mission is built on deconstructing the contrived, pompous, overblown image of the rock and pop star and making light of the absurdity of authenticity. The very fact that his music takes this standpoint makes it nearly impossible for him to receive this institutional endorsement, whether he deserves it or not. However, he has, of course, received some recognition, including a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and several Grammys for Best Comedy Album, which is, notably, not a music award. Now, we already discussed the fact that Yankovic makes direct parodies, like The Saga Begins, based on Don McLean's American Pie, as well as style parodies like Dare to be Stupid, a la Devo. However, his albums also contain a large number of wholly original songs. In fact, his previous and upcoming tours focus exclusively on his non-parody content. But this doesn't change the fact that the public perception of Yankovic is as a parody artist. Certainly, his most successful hits back this up. But I believe that, even if he were to shift his focus entirely away from derivative, comedic takes on popular songs, he would still possibly be identified as a parody artist. There seems to be a common, fundamental misunderstanding in music that funny and parody are somehow the same. The general expectations of music critics and consumers is that songs should be primarily unfunny. If you write songs that are too humorous, you are seen as engaging parodically with the idea of songwriting, you're not taking the art seriously enough. I offer an example from my own experience. Here's a clip from my song, Smiling at Dogs. You're all alone in the world But life's worth living, living for 
I posted a version of this song on social media, and a confused stranger commented on it. If this isn't parody, it's not very good. They automatically associated this song because it is humorous as potentially being parodic, despite the fact that they had no idea what it might be a parody of. Furthermore, they hinged their aesthetic assessment on whether or not it was a parody. If this isn't a parody, it's not good. Whether they know the non-existent original or not, it's clear that they did not enjoy the song. I found another interesting example in the comment section of a Lonely Island song on YouTube that stated, The line between parody and art is getting real blurry. In this case, the user first mistakenly identifies the comedy rap song as a parody, and then sets it apart from real art for this reason, somehow all while acknowledging how much they like it. I don't believe that these people exist in isolation either. Frequently, while explaining my master's thesis focused on comedic popular music, my peers would inevitably respond, oh, like Weird Al. The fact is that parody simply is the most easily recognizable strain of comedic music, but there is of course much humorous music that is not specifically parodic. For example, the -the over-the-top personas that are essential elements of the rap genre or the camp humor of much metal music. Consider also the rube humor of classic country music and the aggressive biting satire of some punk. These genres have largely managed to avoid the stigma of humor in art by existing or at least originating outside the mainstream. By doing so, they are able to invent their own rules to be judged by, which often run in direct opposition to those of normal pop music. The gross tendency to associate all funny music with parody is a problematic one that leads to a specific type of, often negative, evaluation. We've seen that in other types of art, primarily the fine arts, there is a general acceptance of parody, but popular music has largely resisted this. Whereas the fine art world still has a fairly high barrier to entry, popular music is theoretically more democratic. I say theoretically because there is still a very real power structure involved in which types of artists and songs get recognition, or perhaps more importantly, which don't. The French sociologist Pierre Bourdieu said, Taste is first and foremost distaste. And those trying to prove their cultural worth must constantly invent barriers to ensure that their good taste in music is in opposition to someone else's bad taste. Parody and comedic music in general is an easy straw man in this scenario. I think it's entirely common that even fans of Weird Al or other comedic artists are wary of fully endorsing them as real artists. Their work exists with a proverbial asterisk denoting, although I may love it, it isn't art. I'll leave with this optimistic look at the future of parody in popular music. I think that in general, acceptance of humor seems to be on the uptick in popular music. Perhaps this could be attributed to the destabilization of the music industry. Humor was once a mark of an outsider status, as seen in punk, country, and hip-hop. Technology, like the internet, has led to cultural democratization. Much of what was outsider is now popular, and techniques that were once niche have been incorporated into the mainstream. An example of this is the meme culture that has permeated social media and its importance as a promotional and persona-making tool. Consider rapper Little Nas X's deft use of social media to promote his viral hit Old Town Road. While its popularity cannot be argued with, listeners may hear the song as more of a joke than a work of art. 
which, in my opinion, is secretly also its brilliance. Another development that may be beneficial to the aesthetic reception of parody is the widespread usage and acceptance of interpolation techniques like sampling and reuse of melody, harmony, or lyrics in modern popular music. One of the primary reasons parody is seen as less aesthetically acceptable is because it is less original. If there is an overall willingness to appreciate these less original works, this could logically extend to those derivative works that are funny as well. So maybe Weird Al won't get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but maybe we'll all collectively agree that we don't care, that Hall of Fames are lame, and Weird Al Yankovic has already got plenty of lame claims to fame. The Seriously Funny Music Podcast was written and produced by Scott Greenberg and is an adaptation of his master's thesis, The Apparent Bias Against Comedic Popular Music. Follow Scott on all social media and streaming platforms at Scott Making Sense. That's sense like money.